Welcome to Jonathan on Money, the personal finance podcast that brings you the latest insights and strategies to help you achieve your financial goals. I'm your host, Jonathan I. Shankman. On this podcast, we'll cover everything from investing, financial planning, retirement, and behavioral finance. I'll share advice and practical tips to help you make the most of your money. So whether you're just starting out or looking to take your finances to the next level, Jonathan on Money is here to help. Let's dive into this week's show. Welcome to this week's episode of Shankman on Money. This is episode number 20 and will drop just after Labor Day, which means it's now official. Summer is over. It always seems to go by so fast. Fall is now upon us with the high holidays, followed by Thanksgiving, followed by Yeshiva break, Purim, Pesach, and then summer's right around the corner again. Life moves pretty quickly. And I'll admit, I always get a bit down during this part of the year, but there's a lot to look forward to now that summer's over. Rosh Hashanah is only a week and a half away, followed by Yom Kippur, Sukkot, and Simplest Torah. It's a wonderful time to get together with the community, family, and friends. It's also a time for reflection about all aspects of our life, and I'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. But today's episode is going to focus quite a bit on children. In this week's episode, we'll be discussing a very important topic, and one that I am asked about quite frequently, which is money advice that parents should give their kids to set them up for a a successful future. Hopefully there will be some good takeaways for you to implement in your own lives. As always, I'll spend the last half of the episode answering listener questions. I'll also share one of my favorite quotes of all time that is also good advice to share with your children, and that is from Teddy Roosevelt, so stick around for that as well. Well, with that, let's jump into this week's talking points. Okay, so in my practice, clients often ask me for advice on the best way to educate their children about money. Properly educating one's kids about personal finance is extremely important and can change the trajectory of their life. Unfortunately, most yeshivas and even colleges don't have a financial planning curriculum. The burden of teaching financial literacy is solely on parents. Many parents feel overwhelmed when it comes to this task. This may be because they don't have expertise in this area or because they've made poor money decisions themselves. Fortunately, understanding just a few concepts can make all the difference, so let's review them. The first is appreciation for money. A healthy relationship with money should start at a young age. While teaching budgeting, cash flow management, and savings are important skills, few elementary or high school students have the patience to sit down and discuss any of those topics. It's wiser to start with simply instilling an appreciation for things one has. An iPhone, computer, car, spending Pesach in a hotel, going away for sukkahs, simply going out to a nice meal, or any other luxury that can be in their lives. Teaching kids to be grateful through casual discussion reinforces a positive attitude towards money and will serve as a springboard for other finance-related conversations. will also open the child's eyes to families that may not be as fortunate. That awareness and possible lessons on charity is helpful beyond the world of personal finance. As I tell my clients, financial planning is not only about the accumulation of wealth, it is also about the transmission of values to the next generation. Next point is to have them view college as an investment. Student debt may be the single biggest financial mistake people make. Many high school seniors choose a university based on national rankings, campus life, or junior year study abroad options, and many other different types of things that are just nourished tight. 
In reality, college should be viewed as an investment towards a successful financial future. If a student needs to take out debt to finance their education, it's essential that they have a well-defined plan on how they plan to repay it. If there's no repayment strategy in place, it can have a domino effect that will impact the rest of their life. Cash flows will be tighter. The ability to save will be impeded. And lifestyle goals like buying a home and having kids may need to be postponed. Failing to view your child's college education as an investment can have the unintended consequences of saddling them with an insurmountable level of debt that will derail their financial future. Another big lesson is to avoid lifestyle creep. As college graduates enter the workforce and begin to make money, there's a natural desire to spend that money on more things. This temptation to spend more as one's income increases is known as lifestyle creep. This is something that everyone in the from world can relate to. It's embedded in our communities. Lifestyle creep is not led, will not lead to more satisfaction. Let me be clear about that. Instead, it usually leads to more financial strain as one tries to maintain an increasingly expensive lifestyle. One of the smartest decisions a young professional can make is to continue to live like a student until they bolster the financial reserves and get a handle on their cash flow. For those fresh out of college and accustomed to living with roommates, continuing in a shared living space will not impact their lifestyle, but will allow them to save more money for the next stage of life. A personal anecdote here, after I graduated Yeshiva University, I lived in a dilapidated townhouse in Washington Heights with nine roommates. Looking back years later, it doesn't seem like a pleasant way to live. However, I saved money on rent and utilities, had a wonderful social life, and was able to max out my 401k on an entry-level salary. It turned out to be both a great life and a wise financial decision. Another one is to enroll in employer's retirement plan. When starting a job for the first time, one should make sure they are contributing to their firm's retirement plan. It's astounding how many people decide not to do so. They often justify this decision because their employer doesn't match their contributions or they need the cash flow for other expenses. In reality, the matching is just the cherry on top of what is a wonderful way to save for your future in a tax-efficient manner. As for needing the cash flow, I often find that after careful review, many find other expenses that are discretionary or simply a case of lifestyle creep. As a 22-year-old first entering the workforce, your 40- or 50-year investment time horizon is your biggest asset. To capitalize on this asset, it is essential to enroll in one's 401k and contribute the maximum amount if possible. Once the money is automatically contributed, you probably won't miss it. Odds are you will just learn to live on less. Over time, the power of compound interest will work its magic and increase your nest egg exponentially to provide for a comfortable retirement. Next is to understand how credit cards work. Many sophisticated people don't understand how credit cards work. Credit cards exist to ease transactional burdens and allow people to shop without carrying wads of cash. The added benefit is to build your credit score. A good credit score impacts many areas, including allowing one to get a lower rate on borrowed money, like to buy a house or to start a business, for example, makes getting approval to rent a house or apartment easier, and potentially lowers auto insurance rates. Building your credit score isn't as simple as paying off your full credit card balance on time every month. The credit card issuer reports each monthly payment to the credit reporting agencies. This will help increase your credit score because it shows lenders that you can manage credit responsibly. 
And finally, and this is a big one, it's never to try to keep up with the Joneses or given my audience, never try to keep up with the Goldsteins. Settling in a community often comes with certain social pressures to maintain a particular lifestyle. It's important to teach your children that there will always be someone who has more. There will always be a family in your social circle that appears to have a higher income, nicer house, fancier car, go on better vacations, and on and on. At all levels of wealth, trying to keep up with others is a futile, futile goal that will only lead to unhappiness and financial hardship. It's far more important to live within your means, save money every year, invest it prudently, and focus on things in life that give you true joy, like spending quality time with family and friends, focusing on educating your kids on what's important in life, and these prudent financial principles will give them a found, great foundation for the future. Okay, those are my talking points for this week. As a reminder, you can be notified of all my recent articles, webinars, and all the other work I put out by subscribing to my free monthly newsletter at shankmanwealth.com forward slash newsletter. Now for this week's quote, which is from Theodore Roosevelt, 26th president in the United States. The quote is famous and has become known as the man in the arena. First, a bit of background. Over the course of his time in the public eye, Teddy Roosevelt gave a number of moving, influential, highly quotable addresses, but none of them has the legacy of the speech he delivered in Paris in 1910, which would become one of the most widely quoted orations of his career. The former president who left office in 1909 had spent a year hunting in Central Africa before embarking on a tour of Northern Africa and Europe in 1910, attending events and giving speeches in places like Cairo, Berlin, Naples, and Oxford. Sounds like quite the adventure most can only dream of going on. He then stopped in Paris on April 23rd and went to the Sorbonne. And before a very large crowd, he delivered a speech called Citizenship in Republic, which will come to be known as the man in the arena. The excerpt of the speech is as follows. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again because there's no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. And I get chills every time I read this quote. It's so true and also so inspirational. It really pushes you to leave your comfort zone. And the theme of giving advice to one's children, I believe Roosevelt's quote is one of the best piece of life advice to share with your children. They should be willing to take chances and risks in life to help them grow in their careers financially and as people. Hopefully Roosevelt's quote can help inspire them as it has for me over the years. Okay, now let's jump into this week's financial questions. If you do have a question, feel free to submit it to me at jonathan at shankmanwealth.com and it may be answered in a future episode. Okay, first question. My wife and I are getting by financially, no debt, can pay our bills, we save a bit. The issue is we would like to travel more. I've heard that credit card points are the way to do that. Which would you recommend? So credit card stick is out of my lane. What I will say is that you need to be very careful. One misstep and a missed credit card payment can blow up your finances. Well, there are obviously perks to the credit cards, including points that allow you to get stuff for free. Most people don't have the discipline to play this game. 
You could check out a site like Dan's Deals to get uh, get a feel for how this all works and try signing up for an additional card if you commit to paying it off on time. I don't know you, your personality, or level of discipline. However, if you think there may be even the smallest chance of you not being able to keep up with your credit card payments, then do not do this credit card strategy. If you do this credit card thing, then proceed cautiously. Next question. My dad is being audited by the IRS. They think he has been underpaying his taxes for years. The strategy he proposed to me to protect his assets was moving all his money to me and then switching brokerage firms. Thoughts? My thought is your dad is looking for a chavrusa and bunkmate in Otisville. Stay away from this mess and will help you stay out of jail. If your dad is indeed go doing something illegal, he will be caught. If you try to help him avoid being caught, not only will you not be successful, but you will most certainly end up in trouble too. As a good life lesson, anyone who tries to take shortcuts or not play by the rules is setting themselves up for failure. That is never the right approach. Oh, and by the way, his plan is pure idiocy. It won't work, and it's not clever. In 2022, my advisor suggested a portfolio that lost me money. Two short questions. Why pay someone if they lose you money? And then how do I reimburse, get reimbursed since my portfolio went down? So let's take your second question first. Hiring a financial advisor, any type of professional, is not like calling a credit your credit card company or Verizon and asking for a $15 fee to be reimbursed. It doesn't work like that. If you aren't satisfied, then leave. The money you spent is not being given back to you. Sometimes we're happy with services we pay for. Other times it doesn't work out to our liking. Grow up and just move on with life. In terms of your second question, let's start with a little context. Everyone lost money in 2022. Whoever claimed to not lose money is either concentrated in one area of the market and got very lucky one this one time, or they're involved in illiquid investments so they didn't notice that they lost money until later, or they're involved in a Ponzi scheme. The reality is most people who invested properly lost money. Down markets are a characteristic of being an investor. This is not an anomaly or poor advice by your by your advisor. Well, I don't know the breakdown of your portfolio. One would hope that your advisor is setting you up for long-term financial success and not simply to outperform an arbitrary benchmark in any one single year. This is why you pay financial advisors in order to increase your probability of financial success. For example, like accumulating wealth, not running out of funds in retirement, leaving a legacy, living the life you want, etc. Unless you have an extremely wide breadth of knowledge in all areas of investing and financial planning, the assumption and why you hired an advisor in the first place is because you don't know enough in these areas to implement the most prudent strategy to achieve your goals, and an advisor can help with that. A down market doesn't change this need, and that's why you continue to pay someone even if the market is not cooperating. <clears throat> Next question. My brother-in-law is an executive and makes a fair amount of money. He's always talking about private equity and other opportunities he invested in. How do I get access to the same opportunities that he does so I can grow my money? You need to be an accredited investor to or, in order to have access to most of the more attractive alternative investment opportunities. This means having a certain level of asset or income. Practically, you also need an in to get exposure to the best funds, which are already, which are already close to new investors. Practically, even the best funds may not be a good fit for your portfolio given their lack of liquidity and risk return profile. Also, the fact that your brother-in-law is always talking about these opportunities doesn't mean that you need, that, need them to make money or that they're even working out for him. 
Every longtime Shankman on Money listener knows that I always emphasize that excitement doesn't mean something is a good investment. In fact, excitement and a good investment oftentimes have an inverse relationship. The important thing for all investors to know is that today, in today's day and age, the investment landscape has become democratized. The best investment strategies are available to everyone regardless of net worth. Don't let your brother's brother-in-law's enthusiasm distract you from that fact of life. And finally, the last question, there's a lot of debate regarding contributing to a Roth versus traditional retirement accounts. Given that both my wife and I work at decently paying jobs and we have an income of over $200,000 a year, is there any reason to consider a Roth IRA? Barring any for unforeseen circumstances, is it possible to have a greater income in retirement? Even if we have a decent income from Social Security or investments, it is hard to imagine a situation where we will have an income in retirement greater than $200,000 in a single year. Ah, the old Roth versus traditional debate, which I've discussed ad nauseum. I'll try to make this succinct since many of my listeners and readers of my articles have seen this question before, but it's worth repeating because nothing beats a shtickle chazara. First, no one can say for certain what decision Roth versus traditional is the best tax play. There are too many variables. Your current tax rate, your future tax rate, where you will live in the future, potential rule changes, tax rate changes, exact income situation, etc., if you want to play the tax card right, then you can split your contribution 50-50 between a Roth and traditional, and you will get benefit no matter what the future holds. Next, there are nice benefits to a Roth, Roth such as not needing takeout required minimum distributions. This is particularly attractive if you want funds to continue to grow in a tax-free manner for the rest of your life, and then leave the funds to your kids. Tax professionals may squirm at this statement, but here it is. Saving the most on taxes is not the biggest benefit of retirement accounts. Again, saving the most on taxes is not the biggest benefit of retirement accounts. The key is that you are saving for your future. The tax benefits of retirement accounts are really just gravy, and, get, and getting too hung up on this is futile since no one knows what their tax future holds. Okay, that's it for financial questions this week. Feel free to email me with any questions you have. And I might answer them in a future episode. And with that, it's a wrap for this week's show. Any comments or questions, feel free to reach out directly to me via email. I love hearing from my listeners. And finally, the secret to financial success is no secret at all. It's to spend less than you make, invest the difference prudently, and ignore all the noise. See you next time on Shankman on Money. Thank you for joining me on today's episode. I hope you were able to take away a nugget or two to apply to your own life. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can be alerted whenever new episodes drop. If you'd like to submit a question that may be answered in a future show, please email me at jonathan at parkbridgewealth.com. Be sure to check out all Jonathan on Money content, including all of my articles, webinars, and videos by following me at Jonathan on Money on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Finally, if you like what you heard today, please rate the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps ensure that other personal finance enthusiasts can find the show as well. Thank you and catch you on the next episode of Jonathan on Money.